Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, 30th of September, and the market is getting a pummeling today, down 89, which is a bit surprising considering Wall Street was only down 131, Nasdaq down 0.29%, and our futures this morning were down 56. So doing a bit worse than expected. That might be, and I've written that up in the strategy piece, that might be end of quarter stuff. You never know which way the end of quarter window dressing, if there is any, breaks. But at the end of the quarter, it's more significant than the end of the month stuff. And window dressing is where fund managers are thought to buy the stocks that they already hold to make them look good relative to all the stocks they don't hold and possibly sell some of the stocks they're underweight in order to make them look bad so that their relative performance is good anyway. They're not really supposed to do that, but the other drivers might be the big futures positions some people have and closing them out at the end of the quarter. Anyway, it's all a bit confusing, hard to distinguish what's going to happen. But for today, looks like last day of the quarter getting belted. In which case, the relevance of it is, is that if it is end of month stuff, then the next day it tends to reverse. So don't get too upset about today's falls. You might just find everything comes back tomorrow morning as whatever's going on today basically stops or reverses. We'll see other stories today. We've got corporate travel up 14% on the back of an acquisition and a capital raising. Santos in a trading hold ahead of a announcement. Gold up $20 and the gold sector about the only sector that's looking okay today. It's not looking dazzlingly good. It just hasn't fallen over like everything else. Even technology is getting it in the neck today. And resources down a bit more than the rest. BHP down 2.2% with the market down 1.4%. A host of little bullet points today before we get on to some ETF stuff. There are 13 cases in Victoria today. Every time that happens, my kids start shouting about how they're all in one little cluster and why should all of us be shut down because of one little group over there. Anyway, 13 cases ain't great. How we're ever going to get to an average of under five, I don't know. Anyway, all very wearing on the Padley family. The US market, meanwhile, is about to close its worst month since 2018. Amazon Prime are going to have their Prime Day or their Amazon Day on October 13th. That's Friday 13th, is it? I think Target and Walmart are also got a couple of big sale days coming up. US trade figures showed an increase in the deficit as imports ramped up as people are supposed to be restocking in the US. US consumer confidence had its biggest gain since 2003. Disney cut 28,000 jobs, which is a bit odd. You would have thought Disney was booming at the moment with its online business. Obviously not. There's some progress on stimulus talks. $2.2 trillion package, although still unlikely ahead of the election. Oil down 3.3%. The excuse is that rising case numbers, particularly in Europe, are going to kill off demand for oil. We sort of know that already, don't we? But the idea is that the oil price is a bit of a barometer of the world's handling of the COVID crisis and lockdowns and border closures. Anyway, getting worse rather than better. And that particularly emphasised by UK lockdowns, which are now expected to intensify. Boris Johnson was on the telly last night. Apparently he didn't acquit himself very well, fumbled around a bit. And there are headlines about revolt 
or mutinies in UK politics. US jobs numbers on Friday are the main focus at the moment. Bank of Queensland took a $175 million write down yesterday and fell 7.2%. In the strategy piece, you'll see the research reaction today. It's pretty gloomy. All hold recommendations, all with target prices, not all, but most with target prices slightly below the current share price. I've got an article about house prices, which is fed by the Financial Review with an article saying house prices are expected to fall by 5 to 7% over the next year, but then have a fairly solid bounce for the next couple of years. And we have the Trump, probably by the time you're listening to this, we have the Trump-Biden live debate starts 11 a.m. our time, runs until 12.30, no ads. The vice presidential debate is the week after or next week, and then another town hall style answer the questions of voters the week after that debate between presidents and then the final ones on October the 22nd. I don't know whether you've seen it but Emma and I watched the Comey rule day before yesterday. We didn't really realize it had only just come out and we watched the second part yesterday. The first part was really good but the second part was mind-blowing and of course for the Democrats fabulously timed ahead of the election. Anyway I do recommend having a watch of it. The Comey rule. He's the six foot eight FBI director that Trump sacked shortly after arriving in the White House because he wouldn't do what Trump wanted him to do. Anyway, Henry's webinar. Henry did a webinar yesterday on macro risks in the market. There's a link to that in the strategy piece today. We've got the usual technical observations, buy signals, sell signals. And I've written today, just to make the point, most of the buy signals that we are or I am pulling out in this section are short term. They're on daily charts. And I would just make the point, I try to make the point today, if you go through the charts today and look at the buy signals, ask yourself, is this a stock in uptrend, a big uptrend, or is this a stock in a long-term downtrend or a sideways trend with a buy signal? Very different. A stock that's got a long-term uptrend that has a buy signal is probably a buy in an investment sense. It might be bottom of its trading range in a long-term uptrend. That's perfect. But a lot of the buy signals, and if you go through the charts today, you'll see what I mean. A lot of the buy signals we get are very short term and they are on stocks in downtrends, in which case it's not really a buy signal in an investment sense. It's more a trading buy signal because the bigger trend is down and the investor probably wouldn't be interested until there was a bigger pivot point. For a stock to have a buy signal and it to be a buy for an investor, it really needs to have a major pivot point and those are very rare. So just try and distinguish as you go through the charts today, just try and distinguish the difference between a buy signal in a downtrend and a buy signal. And you'll see I make the point with the charts today. Have a look at those. Right. And finally, today, I have written about exchange traded funds. I could go into this at length, but have a read of the section. It's come from or been prompted by an article in the Australian today by someone I would consider a friend, James Kirby. And he talks about and The main point is that under the ETF banner, there are a lot of speculative products being bundled together with traditional index style funds. And I pull out one example today and show you the downtrend in this ETF, constant downtrend and a lack of total return over a long period of time from an ETF that was promising, and this is their marketing line, to provide regular income comprising dividends and franking credits from Australian shares that is at least one and a half times the income yield of the broad Australian market as measured by the ASX 200 on an annual basis. So this ETF promises you one and a half times the annual yield on the Australian 
Canadian market. And yet, since inception, the net return for franking has been minus 1.09%. Over five years, minus 0.77%. And I'll just make the point, a couple of points here, you get nothing for nothing in the stock market. You cannot possibly promise people one and a half times the annual yield on the All Ordinaries Index without something else going on. And of course, what it is, is they're effectively repaying you your capital. I could promise you a 100% yield. You give me a dollar, I'll promise you a 100% yield. And that'll be my marketing line. 100% yield per annum from Marcus's ETF. Marcus's high income ETF. So you give me a dollar. At the end of a year, I'll give you your dollar back. That's 100% yield. But of course, after that, I'll have to close the ETF because there isn't any capital left. And all I've done is repay you a dollar. So I've effectively borrowed you a dollar for a year. But I have returned 100% yield. Of course, after that, there's nothing left. So you can you can't get something for nothing out of the stock market. So when someone promises you a one and a half times the market yield, of course, you're not going to make money in the underlying ETF. And that's what happened in this case. Have a look at the chart. There's nothing wrong with that. If you read the product disclosure statement, that's what it said. It told you what they were going to do. And this is the result. But of course, the marketing line suggests that you're going to get, if the average yield is 4.5%, that you're going to get a 6.75% yield on your money. Whoopie do. Let's go and invest. Plus franking. That's 9.64% if you frank. You're going to get a 9.64% return on your money, including franking. That's what the, the headline was saying. But the real result has been minus 1.09% per annum because you fell for a marketing line rather than reality. Anyway, that's the first point is a lot of ETFs chop up in the middle of a fad and offer you what you want, which was more income in this case. But you have to read the detail to see how they achieve that. And the likelihood is, or the certainty is, is that you can't get something for nothing and you don't. Read product disclosure statements. There are ETFs and there are ETFs. And the second point to make is the ETFs that are run very efficiently at low cost without any bells and whistles that replicate something like an index without brains, without active management. And if they come from a major issuer and then they don't involve options or futures or synthetics, derivatives, if they don't involve leverage, they're okay. They're okay. But to find out if they are, you need to read the PDS, product disclosure statement, and work that out. Anything that's offering anything other than plain vanilla, you've got to know what you're getting into. Read the detail. There are a lot of products which have been created in the ETF world to sell on the ETF image, which is passive, low risk, low cost, when in fact, some of them are simply structured products, as they used to be called, or managed funds being actively managed in ETFs clothing or wolves in ETF clothing. So look out. Anyway, read the article today and you'll see what I'm trying to get at. Okay, that's enough of that ranting about ETFs, but it is a very valid point and James Kirby's article prompted all that. Uh, So that's about that. Trump and Biden about to start. That'll keep entertained today. You have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow in the new quarter. Uh-huh.